Redwood Logistics is one of the nation's fastest-growing logistics providers, fueled by industry-leading technology and a passionate team of experts. From multimodal brokerage and dedicated truckload to third-party logistics and TMS consulting, implementation, and integration, Redwood Logistics delivers next-generation solutions for its clients and much more than a truckload. Weekly Market Update the largest single-day drop in freight volume since spring of 2018. The Permian Basin's demand for crude oil tanker trucks could quadruple in the second quarter. Shippers had the upper hand in 2019. Here's what that means. Covenant beats analyst projections and posts record Q4 revenues. Harland Express achieves remarkable operating ratio improvement in the fourth quarter. Canadian Pacific wows them with a sub-57% operating ratio. Will Amazon cut the accessorial ties binding parcel shippers? And unpaid Coast Guard workforce is slowing the maritime business. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we discuss all these topics and more on this week's episode of What the Truck. Uh, and don't forget again, we are joined by guest star Zach Strickland. Hi, Zach. Hey, guys. I'm so sorry. To Zach Strickland, the, for, the former, you know, financial analyst at an LTL carrier. Uh, we always like to have him in. Uh, well, we had him in last week just for just for funsies. But um, we always like to bring him in during earnings season. I'm so excited. <laughs> and you are clearly hiding it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's great. It's great to have you in here. You guys can nerd out on some earnings reports. That I'm so excited. And uh, I just can't hide it either. Um, well, uh, what you drinking? I'll give you three guesses, Chad. Uh, bell's too hearted, bell's too hearted, bell's too hearted. Ding, ding, ding. Um, uh, what, what do you got? Um, Zach went across the street to uh, Naked River. What would you come back with? Open the hop hatch. <laughs> yeah, actually, I did uh, on behalf oh, you of did. Zach. You did. And, uh, and we are sharing great times. Good to be here. Yes. And, uh, you know... Covering the awesome headlines uh, of the week with you guys, um, and you know, in in good spirits. Yes. Um, why don't we turn to the first uh, three headlines, uh, our kind of market playbook uh, section of the podcast? Yeah. Um, and so, Zach, actually, you you wrote this weekly market update. The uh, it's it's a it's an interesting uh, story uh, you wrote. Um, there's um, some kind of mixed signals going on. Uh, right now, what, what's 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 the mixed look like? What are the anomalies? The things kind of throwing you curveballs, Zach. So, so we we have our our proprietary data, uh, the uh, the outbound tender rejection index and the outbound tender volume index. Right. Now, normally people consider volume and capacity to move in synchronization. And you're pointing out that they don't. And they actually have kind of moved in a different direction. The tender rejection index has gone has actually kind of flattened out and started to inch up a little bit. Whereas volume actually had its single biggest drop in the past almost year, since March of last year, uh, earlier in the week. And what are some of the things that you attribute the kind of the, the, um, the lack of, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, capacity does not always, like, volume does not always go in sync with capacity because balance is really what is the true measure of capacity in, in the market. And what I mean by that is that you can have lots of volume coming out of one area. So if all of a sudden there was a shipper that blew up North Dakota, there's not a lot of trucks sitting up in North Dakota. Waiting, <laughs> waiting for a load. Yeah. 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 So, so we're talking about a huge geographical area. Exactly. We have the United States to cover. Uh, you know, if L.A. were to – everybody's been sitting out on the West Coast for so long. If Dallas, or for instance, or even somewhere in the Midwest starts shipping out, there's simply not trucks sitting there waiting for these shippers to just all of a sudden right. turn back on. And I, yeah. I think that's what's happening right now is there, there's no big booming market, but there's definitely not like – an idea of what's gonna what's gonna happen next, and where is the volume going to exactly. be? I mean, yeah, like to your point, Zach, um, LA had an unusually strong uh, beginning of January. That market was really leading uh, the country, and we talked about why that was. You know, kind of um, the sort of warehouse districts in LA and in Ontario, sort of disgorging the freight into uh, you know markets, you know, maybe close to some intermodal facilities up more in the central and northern part of the state, uh, in Stockton and Modesto. But L.A. has really fallen off. Um, it was slow to peak in in January, like we said. It was building momentum, actually. Um, 
some of the other markets peaked on the on the 8th of January before they started sliding. I, I want to say that LA peaked on the 16th or the 18th. Yeah, and it, it actually came out of the holiday break stronger than it went in. Uh, they kind of, you know, all of a sudden the new year, like we thought that LA was kind of done after yeah, Thanksgiving. Right, right. You know, Especially the, once the tariffs got pushed all the way to March. Yeah, and now it, it kind of came out strong, but what it turned out to happen was the... Uh, you know, they were just a bunch of regional movements as the warehouses had filled up. Yeah, and so, right. but we're seeing this kind of across the country right now. You know, um, volumes mm-hmm. are down in Harrisburg, Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas, um, you know. But the question really is, you know, when we talk about uh, the decoupling of volume and tightness, capacity tightness, there's, I think there's kind of two main things. One is that, is like you said, we have a big geography in the United States. We have idiosyncratic markets all over the United States. The trucks aren't always necessarily where the volume is, and it takes a while for them to react. What's the other kind of thing that can, that can affect this? When you think about the upper Midwest, I mean, you, you think about Weather. snowstorms this time of year, yeah. right? Yeah, no, and there's been several, like, A lot of disruptive weather. Uh, snowstorms coming across the Midwest right now, and there, I think, uh, you know, ice is kind of the silver bullet to stop a truck, and the, I've been, uh, there's been a few of those. The uh, polar vortex yeah. has descended upon us, and uh, especially in the Northeast region. Um, if you've been checking in with our chief meteorologist Nick Austin, he um, told us about it today. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's always funny every morning. You, I, I edit the Daily Watch, which is this newsletter that goes out just to Sonar subscribers, and it's funny. It's like, you know, okay, it's snowing in Vail, <laughs> it's snowing in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, but you know, th- those yeah. aren't necessarily that disruptive. People kind of right. expect that this time of year, but when you know a, a half inch of ice gets dropped on I ninety five from Washington D.C. to Boston, that messes things up pretty bad. Yeah, it doesn't take much to slow you down. Like, if you miss a day or two, like, that's a big disruption to a carrier. Uh, you can't just sit there parked. I mean, they have to go and recover loads. Like, they'll ha- they'll miss service because a lot of load planners will go out there and they've already scheduled their next load most of the, by the time right, that, right. That, that They're that picking up where, so, you know, close to where they're dropping off. Yeah, exactly. So if they miss that delivery window of the first one... Then they miss the next they one. They miss the next one. And everything has to reorganize. And it messes up our data... So that, you know, <laughs> so maybe Which is, that's the and most that's, important thing is the so, integrity yeah. of our <laughs> the most upsetting. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, in terms of the market playbook, there uh, may be some discrepancies. And one of the things we're going to get into is the kind of year it's looking like for shippers. But before that, um, let's let's talk about this. Uh, what's going on? You, you wrote the article, JP, on the Permian Basin's demand for, you know, crude oil tanker trucks possibly quadrupling. Um, in the even, second quarter. Yeah, even yeah. by Q2. Oh, yeah. Tell um, us about it, man. This, this is incredible. This was a really interesting uh, report that came out in Rystad Energy's January newsletter. And Rystad Energy is this independent uh, energy consulting and business intelligence group mm-hmm. that was founded in Oslo but now has offices all over the world, including you know, Houston. And they, kind of, they provide information to the oil and gas industries. Are they... Must be clearly bullish on oil prices continuing to actually, go back up. Interestingly, not. Really? Um, what they're saying is that actually the slide in okay. the price of West Texas Intermediate Oil, the American benchmark oil, has caused a slowdown in pipeline construction. Oh, right? so it's like a reverse kind of capacity type. Yeah, of and so, but production is still supposed to increase. It's still supposed to grow. I mean, at you know fifty three dollars a barrel, uh, people in you know in the Permian, <laughs> in Midland, Delaware, you know they're all making money. So they're going to continue to to pump oil, um, but the the pipeline infrastructure is going to take a little bit longer to get there. So oh. so essentially, the gap between the oil being produced and the pipeline uh, takeaway capacity is going to grow. And they basically said that right now about 100,000 barrels of oil a day are being taken away from the basin on trucks. Um, and if you figure about 190 barrels per truck, that's 500-something trucks a day. Now, they said it could increase. You know, It's going to increase. There's going to be a bubble, and then the pipelines are going to catch back up. Um, and it should be uh, – crude by truck should almost be eliminated by the end of the year. But – for this Q2, Q3 period, 
they might need 2,100 trucks, truckloads a day uh, just to get the oil out of the out of the Permian Basin. And one, one of the things, uh, the other, like, detail, okay. you know, and, uh, Sam Tibbs, um, yep. <clears throat> director of data science, and I, uh, we got on the phone with the RISAD energy analyst, and we we're talking through this. Because one of the main things we wanted to know was, okay, you know, 570-something truckloads, 2,100-something truckloads a day. How what how many turns is a truck getting every day? Like like are they going like thirty miles where each truck can do five trips, and therefore you know you you don't actually need that many trucks, or are they having to replicate the work of the entire pipeline and actually go from Midland to Houston or Midland to Corpus Christi where the refineries are? You know, and that would take that's four hundred seventy five miles, so that's like you know less than one turn a day, Jeez. right? And so. We we were talking to them. They didn't okay. really have a great answer. We're both Rystad and Freightwaves are working on modeling that, and we're you know we're you know geofencing different kinds of facilities um, related to the oil and gas industry, tracking truck movements, and trying to get a better sense of the sort of the true trucking demand in terms of mileage. You know, yeah, well, a lot of um, the, a lot of it's got to go to Houston, does it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's yeah. kind of. Because it, the, yeah. the the pipes are full. If the pipe's full, it's full all the way down. Right. <laughs> that's that's a, you know, and they can build these storage facilities. But if the pipe's full, you know, wh- how do those people get get a piece of that capacity? They don't. It just fills up, right? So right. there's really no. Uh, I mean, if they're, if they're trying to get it to a refinery, if they're trying to get it to market, which I assume they are. Um, do yeah. um the tru- so we know it's kind of the literally and metaphorically the wild west out there for uh, truckers. Um, who are you know they have they they're, they're on sometimes unpaved roads and you know oh, taking yeah. chances going really fast. <clears throat> um, do we know if um, they're under the same uh, HOS hours of service re- regulations that the rest of the industry is in, or do they have some exceptions? They do have some exceptions. Mm-hmm. There's a special status for waiting at an oil field. I th- I believe it does not take away from your eleven hours. So this is right. one of those opportunities. But there's but these roads yeah. are very congested. Uh, by this point, these roads are very damaged yes. um, and very dangerous. So fact. if you're ready to take some risks, um, you can maybe make some <laughs> maybe make some six figures, right? Get out yeah, there. These, uh, these guys do get paid a lot. It's a pretty tough life, though. I mean, it's it's hard. Uh, the 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 carriers, the oil field uh, service trucking carriers out there, have the same issues retaining drivers that. What you think of as like a normal dry van company does, um, you know, in spite of the high pay. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. that's an interest. Yeah, I mean, we, that's a whole another topic. Right. Whether high pay actually mm-hmm. solves turnover, I would say if you yeah, if you, it came it came about up in today, uh, this week in one of our. Articles. I would say if you think yeah. that's true, look at Silicon Valley, and you notice that people work at a job for about two years before they switch, and you know, even though they're getting paid a lot. So I, I don't yeah. necessarily even think that raising. The whole industry's pay would solve turnover. But that's, right. that's 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 different day. That's a, we'll, we'll get <laughs> yeah, into that. Yeah, let's take that <laughs> on a different day. In the meantime, uh, let's talk about shippers. They have the upper hand. It looks like maybe for all of 2019. What does that mean? And do, do we even agree with the assessment? Like what? What do you think? Yeah. So saying? this was um, a story by one of our uh, y- you know staff writers, young Henry Carmichael. Um, who talked to actually managed to corral um, a number of uh, sort of trucking and transportation experts. He talked to Avery Vice at FTR. He talked to Jeff Tucker at Tucker Worldwide, and he talked to um, Kevin Perry, who basically is an expert on transportation from the shipper side. Uh, he did a lot of transportation management for you know the, some big retailers. And now he has his own consultancy practice. One of the things that I think is interesting about this, maybe ironic if we think about it, is that apparently now that, and this is one of one of the takeaways uh, that I, I took from the article, is that shippers are now going to start getting selective with the carriers that they use, and yes, they yes. are going to make sure that those carriers are highly digitized, that these carriers like better bring it with their transparency because shippers want to know where those trucks are, and those carriers who refuse 
who refused to to get on the transparency so so to speak bandwagon um well they'll they'll be off they'll be off the 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 shippers bandwagon so you know we were talking about shippers of choice preferred shippers are we now going to start talking about carriers of choice this this is this is just the same old (laughs) swinging (laughs) pendulum yeah yeah back and forth game that that shippers and, and carriers have done for for decades um this oh is, come on! Or isn't something <clears throat> changing? I mean, you no, know, no, it's it's definitely different now. It, you know, that, I think that is actually one of the takeaways is that, that we are entering into a time that's different than anything we've seen. Yeah, but here's um, the thing: shippers need are, are fully uh, aware that at any given moment things could swing right back the other way. Now we've never had we've never really had a moment like we had in 2017, 2018, or at least in yeah. recent history. We haven't had a moment like that where all an of a sudden 18 shippers... Month, an 18-month-long sort of trucking bull run. Yeah, and, and the, carriers, right. the carriers had pricing leverage for a longer period of time than I've ever seen before. And they, they used it. And they used we'll it. We'll talk about that in a minute when we get to the earnings. Okay, yeah. well, we can talk pendulum all we want, <coughs> and we can go there. But, like, let, I mean, a couple of the quotes from the article that I thought was kind of pushing the needle maybe in a slightly different, at least conversational direction, um, you know, um, uh, who was the the Tucker guy that you referred to? That he yeah, Jeff to? Tucker. Jeff yeah. Tucker. So Jeff Tucker said, never in the 60 years... 60 years that we've been in business has customer service and on-time trucking been as important as today. And, it, you know, he said in an, an environment of com- compliance fees, some companies are seeing hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees every year. And John Slanger, Slanger up, um, the CEO of a, uh, AGC Logistics, said we've probably, we're probably at a time of the greatest disruption I've seen. And he's been in the industry for about three decades. Yeah, so I think I think the the sort of the main premise of this article, and you know, you know, Zach, I, I want to kind of hear your thoughts on this, whether you agree with it. But it's yeah. basically that like when the shippers are in control, you'll see accelerated technological adoption on the carrier side because they have to conform to their customers' expectations and demands. When the the car- shippers do, right? The no, shippers no, no. have to. No, well, no, it's no, no, no. The, well, I was okay, but I was like, actually, just to add to it, the shippers are concerned about their customers in, you know, mm. in the supply chain, and that's part of what their argument is. Yeah, yeah, but I'm thinking, <clears throat> but I'm also thinking of the shippers as the customers of, of gotcha. the carrier. So it's like gotcha. the shippers are in control, and so it's like if you want my freight, I want to know where it is at all times. I want to have this visibility. I want to have this service. I want it to be delivered on my schedule, et cetera, et cetera. Um, right. When the carriers are in control and people are <clears throat> desperate to find a truck, they're calling brokers. They probably don't even know who's hauling their freight necessarily. You know what I mean? It's, it's being brokered yeah. out. It could be, be even be double brokered. Um, and so, you know, it's I think when the, you have the leverage to insist on visibility, you, you do. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? No, no, I have, I have I have a lot of thoughts here. So. <laughs> Uh, the thing is, is now that the carriers went to the shippers with this, well, ELDs are a thing now, and it's going to increase the cost. Drivers right. are leaving the industry, et cetera, et cetera. Now the and shippers are like, what does it do for me? Exactly. And, and, and that's a really actually the most valid thing they could do. Um, yeah. I don't think it's an unreasonable ask. The problem with that, though, okay. uh, easier said than done. <laughs> um, mm. You know, having been in the industry and seeing exactly what ELD data looks like, uh, and also the integration involved with ELDs and what they're kind of doing. Like, there's no set standards for ELDs and, and, and the way their data is organized or whatever. And, and as a data guy okay. myself, I'm geeking out a little bit here. No, no, no. So, but, so bear with me. Explain why this is important. No, this makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. So, so essentially, <clears throat> the data that is provided, they don't all of a sudden get this magic UI that yeah. shows them where all their trucks are all the time. No, uh, they, they have to develop that that aspect of their business. And when trucking companies, let's be honest, last year was a little overheated. We'll get into the ORs here in a little bit. But, yeah. <laughs> but they don't always have this excess amount of capital ready to just reinvest in their products. Right. Like, especially not in, like, IT infrastructure. Like, is Walmart going to be able to say, we want all of our carriers to use the same ELD? Which is which is crazy to me because I know for a fact Walmart does not reinvest in its own transportation infrastructure on that level. Like, in terms of, uh, 
you know, IT and, and, and technology. They sure do on, on other things, but not necessarily on transportation. Okay. Yeah, and apparently Walmart's doing a pretty good job at retaining some of their drivers, ironically. Yeah, no, no, drivers love working for Walmart. Yeah. It's, it's, it's essentially just them kind of, you know, getting the data from the ELD device into a nice, presentable, yeah. you know, user-friendly visualization UI tool. interface, as you were saying. Yeah. Well, that makes a ton of sense. So overall, you're saying it's not an unreasonable ask, but Let's, are they really ready to get digitized the shippers themselves. That's yeah, interesting, too. right? Because if say you work with, you know, you you know, you say you work with five, six, seven, eight, you know, carriers on your routing guide, plus you know a big three PL that's managing everything that gets you know that falls through. Like that's a lot of coordination. Yeah. No. No. And people don't understand what the data looks like. There, there has to be communication between this device and and the and the uh, end user. And getting right. it into that space requires a lot of programming. Well, it's interesting to talk. <coughs> that's kind of that's a uh, you know our market playbook of the week. Um, what's happening with shippers, carriers, and you know just kind of some of the volume stuff going on, oil. Um, but headlines. This is you guys are ready to. You guys are ready to geek out on on some earnings, right? That's right. So, well, we and there, there really have been some impressive and and and, and you know unusual kinds of uh, things. Um, between, do you guys want to just hit Covenant first? Like Covenant beats the analyst projections and posts record Q four revenues. Now, well, I won't let the cat out of the bag about how this right really might have happened, but like, well, how did they do this? How did they well, have such a record? The record revenue, one? yeah. So two hundred seventy two point three million in total revenue for Q four, record for them. Um, you know, the land air acquisition obviously has. You know, oh, so you just when, shot right to the core. Well, when you, you okay. yeah, I mean, you <laughs> make, made a big acquisition. You make a big acquisition, you're yeah. going to see a record uh, top line revenue number. Like, so it's not but, the team centered driving approach that's so innovative that it's like no, uh, they're actually so you know, partially HOS pa- partially because of the land air acquisition, the share of teams among their whole fleet actually dropped from about thirty five percent to about twenty nine percent, and because of the nature of Landair's sort of network, which which has you know they, they rely on shorter lengths of haul. Mm-hmm. The actual um, miles per tractor per week uh, decreased by about ten percent. Ah, mm-hmm. it didn't lower their efficiency. Oh, it, didn't. it just you know the, the miles they were running were fewer, but they were better priced. Right, like like re- revenues per mile. I think we're up like thirteen percent. Yeah, freight revenue per per mile increased thirteen point four percent. So oh, they're they awesome. they stopped really? they stopped they stopped doing Why stuff. Why is that awesome? I just I just as an old pricing guy, I just the freight revenue per mile is is great because that's that's that means you're getting a lot more for your your bang for your buck. Yeah. Right. No. That's and what if you, you want. can do that. You yeah. want to stop <laughs> doing things that don't make money and do more of the things that do make money. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, <laughs> it's it's they, common um, sense. Wow, and that's they, easy. And if you know, even though I think you know, one of uh the first time I ever heard David Parker speak in person was at the um Stiefel conference in Miami Beach about a year ago and he said, This is one of the most undisciplined industries I've ever heard of. And he was talking about carriers, you know, Sort of recklessly adding capacity during the good times. Well, they've, yeah. <laughs> they've kind of they've kind of done that. They added prophetic words now. They've <laughs> they've added they added 562 trucks since uh, Q4 2017. Um, 430 of those came from Land Air, so about they added about 132 of their own. And he's and uh, they gave guidance to increase capacity even more in 2019. They said. That you know, depending on okay. the volumes from their big contract customers that they could secure, they would add between one and four percent more trucks to their fleet. Can I just so can exciting. I just can I just jump in real quick on that comment? Go, like go for like it. this is again as an old pricing guy, I I, I don't know how <clears throat> how much I, I mean when I looked at a bid and I saw their 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 volumes and you can't see me but I'm doing the air quotes thing with my fingers <laughs> volumes uh, yeah their volumes that they're promising are, are are always cute to me because I I took those as kind of a base measure and I didn't really put like a lot of stock in thinking oh I'm getting this amount of freight from these guys all the time they they literally take last year's numbers put them into a bid 
and then say, look, we're going to do this and we're adding 10% to it. So price our freight effectively. Oh. And, and, I, and I'm kind of like, I, I know that's not real. <laughs> like, and this, this is, and this okay, is where like, yeah. data analytics actually plays a big part for carriers because what you want to know is not, you know, what is this shipper telling me in terms of the volume they're giving me week by week, but what is their historical performance against their, what they've promised? So did hmm. they give me more than they said they would in June and far less than they said they would in October? How does it actually play out? And that's you have to have you have to first of all you have to have a fairly long relationship, but you also have to actually track the numbers and actually use that to make your decisions on how you price. Yeah, and and we used to do that. The problem with that approach is that the market is ultra competitive. <laughs> like right. so you never you're never really you, you can never really you can't, hold. You can't go to them and say, "Well, exactly. you actually didn't give me those numbers," because they'll be like, "Oh, you, you don't want the freight." Yeah, so they're like, "Well, I have ten other carriers that are going to go and provide me these rates anyway." So you can hold them accountable if you want, but uh, now and now now's not the time. Yeah, now is probably not the time. I think yeah. ev- everybody is is thinking that you know all the brokers I've talked to recently, especially, have. S- just outright said that 2019 will be much more contract heavy than spot. Um, and they're making, you know, everyone's making aggressive plays for contract freight. Which is good because they'll, I mean, that's that's the right move. <laughs> I don't know about increasing their uh, capacity, though. That, yeah. That, <laughs> it just, it, you know, it, you, you always, it's just kind of like the old financial adage. You want to buy low, sell high. Well, if that sounds really easy to say, but it's really hard to kind of enact. You right, know? <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just... You uh, want to cut costs during the good times, mm-hmm. and you want to, you know, invest in, in assets in the, in, the, in the bad times. Wow, lots to think about there. Um, well, what about Heartland Express uh, achieving a remarkable uh, operating ratio in Q4 as well? What do you guys make of that? Oh, man, this? Dude, they, Is, is they, this a great turnaround story? Oh, dude. This I mean, awesome. <laughs> it's not even a, it's not even a turnaround. No. It's, not, it's not like they were bad, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter of 2017. I mean, they were yeah. they were normal. They were good. I think um, it was David Ross that uh, said in his uh, from Stiefel, who said in his note that they're perhaps uh, the best pure truckload operator, you know, in, in the public market. Um, okay. But they just achieved a dramatic drop in their operating ratio quarter after quarter. Um, I mean, you, I'll, I'll, I'll let you you say it. Zach, well, I like, know you're what, what's the secret sauce? What's the no? It, this this is a this is a nasty drop. Like anybody that's been in trucking and knows any kind of OR or, or transportation stuff, they they went from like a ninety three OR Whoa. to a seventy six point seven, and it's that that is that to me is like anytime someone says <laughs> a thousand basis points, you're like what what. What dude, happened? dude, this is this is a <laughs> I, I I can't even fathom this kind of drop. Yeah, that that means that they and they and they did they cited the fact that they lowered expenses and increased revenue simultaneously in one quarter. That is unreal. Yeah, <laughs> like to be able to is capture, it unheard of or it's, it's not, not too good to be true. It's, this move the the amount of move is unheard of. I believe. Uh, especially in the public sector. Well, are really we impressive. able to break it down so, and get down to the only other how and the why? Exactly. Yeah, we can. It's like the only other <laughs> sub eighty OR I'm aware of recently was Old Dominion's stellar results in the third quarter of 2018, where they got down to like 78 something. And um, Old Dominion is one of the n- most well-regarded LTL transportation providers out there. Like even when I back in the day, we used to talk about Old Dominion as like the model, but they don't drop that much that fast. They, it took them years of kind of grinding through it to get this kind of success. Right. Um, Harland, you know, the CEO, uh, Michael Garden, you know, gave some comments, obviously, yeah. during the call. He said, we're carrying no debt on our balance sheet. We right-sized our fleet. We're controlling costs, and we're focused on rate improvements. Yeah, this to me sounds like the epitome of kind of discipline, like like yeah. operational discipline. Like he, he was able to go in there, and I know for a fact they, they absolutely had to gain some heavy contract increases to increase their revenue. Uh, most people did on the carrier side. But the thing is, is they probably, and, and they, they made quotes stating this, that mm. they, they didn't 
try to overreach. They really kind of were selective with the uh, the customers that they went after, kind of meshed with their network, provided, you know, they were able to kind of really be efficient with the stuff they added while simultaneously kind of trimming the fat, which is, and, and it seems like common sense, but it's exciting to an old financial analyst. I can tell it's <laughs> exciting you. Um, I admit I don't know enough about the um, the, the ways that these things function to to truly, but to truly, you know, ask even the right questions. I just uh, think that, it, you know, it, it seems like too good to be true. That's the like what you guys are saying. It's not even. It's like it's just out of the ballpark of what everybody else is is reporting and doing. It makes me a little skeptical. I, I, I don't think know. I think that's totally fair. I mean, any any time something like this happens, that's the first question I ask. Of course, I'm an analyst by nature. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's you know. The, but at the same time, like, I want to believe it. <laughs> like, it's, it's it's a real yeah. number. I mean, it's a real number. I mean, you know, they're following the law. They're they're yeah. they're, they're reporting GAAP. They're if they adjust their OR, they're reporting what what non GAAP means for them. But I mean, at the end of the day, the question is is like. Okay, yeah, I'm sure you were. If you really sort of focused in and ran your best lanes, you know, with 100% utilization, blah blah blah. Like that's how you make money. That's how you run an efficient truckload operation. It's, but but will you be able to do that in 20? I mean, it, it's great. I mean, they're they're having their best ever year in the best ever year for freight. And that's what you expect from a from a, from a, a you know any kind of publicly traded company, any kind of company where the officers have fiduciary duties to the shareholders. When times are good, you want that company to make a lot of money. You want them to seize the opportunity. I mean, yeah, but they're yeah. also they're also more flexible than these bigger carriers are. They're they're not the largest publicly traded uh, trucking provider out there. Um, what's their What's their fleet size? Do you, uh, I, I don't know their fleet size, but uh, what their their revenue is about 165 million, 166 million, which is not very large relatively. I mean, you're mm-hmm. talking about the the Schneiders and JB Hunts that are in the billions. Um, this is this is not a large scale fleet, so they 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 can be more flexible and they can essentially take more advantage. Like they are able to take advantage of situations more rapidly than the bigger carriers because they are more. Expo- I'm sorry, they're exposed to uh, a larger uh, breadth of shippers in yeah. different areas of the country. So, you know, they might have like only 10 shippers versus Schneider's, you know, 4,000 shippers that they're trying to manage. And I, and I just made those yeah. numbers up. But, right. the uh, you know, you get the point. Like, they're able to more, to more effectively select those shippers uh, in the regions that they want versus oh. the Schneiders that are effectively servicing the entire country. More exposed, I guess, because, like, you know, the, the stakes are higher mm-hmm. per each shipper mm-hmm. that they use. But, but if they find those right ones with the right lanes. to the converse of this mm-hmm. means that these guys are pr- probably uh, more exposed to the swings the other direction as well. Uh, uh-huh. Because if those shippers were to all of a sudden just collapse on them, they're now like going to have the wild swing the other direction. Yeah, Anytime or, that you have that big upside, yeah. mm-hmm. the downside is completely in the realm of possibility. Yeah, what if those shippers say, we want you to be ultra-digitized? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, way to go, Heartland. Canadian Pacific wows them uh, with a sub-57% uh, OR. You want to you wanna tell us about uh, this, guys? Um uh, it's uh, obviously impressive. Yeah, so uh, Canadian Pacific was the the third railroad that Hunter Harrison was the CEO of. If you recall, uh, back uh, in the 90s, Harrison ran the Illinois Central, which was acquired by Canadian National. He ran Canadian National, and then in a hostile takeover, assumed the CEO chair of Canadian Pacific. Obviously, those days are done. He's moved on, but Keith Creel... One of his main protégés is now the CEO of Canadian Pacific and has really carried on his his legacy. Hunter of, Harrison has definitely moved on. Uh, like, he is he's like, yes to the other side. Yeah. In fact. That's okay. Um, but but Keith Creel is you know keeping the you know carrying the torch of cost cutting of extreme discipline precision railroading. Yeah, yeah, and so. They are dropping it like it's hot. 56.5% OR uh, on $1.69 billion in revenue for the quarter. 
that they're keeping almost half of. Just to put that in perspective, a yeah. 56.5 OR is 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 not a transportation OR. Like that's something that software companies. I have a buddy that works in software and he laughed at me one day when I said, "Well, we're operating at a 95 OR and it's a great year." You know, and and he was like, "What we don't even entertain anything above a 70." Now, okay. so so I mean, this is this is like Silicon Valley style ORs that we're talking about. Right. No, what, are, what are the? Well, I mean, I, I guess I want to get to the like, you know, what's the fallout? Like, what? Who's not happy about this? The shippers, you know, like, the shippers aren't be, happy. The because, shippers aren't cause, happy because it's get on the train or miss the train. You know, it's get, that. It's a little bit of that. It's also. Um, you know, one of the things that Harrison did when he took over at CSX was immediately fire all of the maintenance like crews, which are like unionized, highly paid professionals. And basically what they would do is as the tracks would start to degrade, they would lower their rating and lower the speed, you know, that the sort of their own internal speed limit on that track so that everything was even though the trains were yeah. going slower and slower everything was still like on time. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, you know, there's, there's kind of a debate within the railroad community of how sustainable are these cost cutting me- measures? Like, how, like it takes a lot of money to maintain this infrastructure. You know, you think about weather, you think about, you know, you know, all the kind of things that, you know, that happen in Canada, uh, huge amounts of, of land and space, not very inhabited. Lots of things can happen. Um, it, you know, basically, it's like the question is: is like if you stop building your railroads, if you stop repairing them, if you if you stop buying assets, how long does that last? When when do you have to re? You know, you can you can only cut capex. Uh, you know, below its your historical numbers well, for I, so long, right? Yeah, but I think it's sustainable as long as people will pay them for it. I mean, that's that's kind of the bottom line. Is like if the customers are still there, uh, and they're twenty mile an hour rail, <laughs> you know, like they're going to continue to get away. I mean, and, and I, props to them. Like I, I again, as yeah. an old, as an old pricing guy, I have huge admiration for this because they're able to stay disciplined. In, in this environment and not get out of their, you know, out of their lane, literally. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, anything that's running, like, that's super disciplined and, you know, literally running on a tight schedule and meeting those deadlines, I'm all about, right? I mean, you it's know? a. Um, I think it's upsetting to the customer just because they're like, wow, why can't... The customer being the shipper. Yeah, why, yeah. why can't I get that, you know, you're charging, you're literally getting... Fifty cents for every dollar I spend with you. Right. <laughs> it's like it's like, profit. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and it's kind of like doing real well. So you're overcharging me, and but for to the rails defense, that's their job. Like they're supposed to increase their ORs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Decrease. Yeah. Decrease their decrease ORs. Their Sorry. ORs Good. Thank you. Their <laughs> yeah. So because they're judged against each other. So you know. If, and you know. You know, ultimately, it comes down to what the Surface Transportation Board, the STB, allows them to do. This isn't the case for Canadian yeah. Pacific, but for all of the other, you know, Class Ones in the United States. Uh, you know, fortunately for the railroads, the STB is fairly anemic. Um, it's sort of, it's one of those t- tough things too. So it's sort of like trying to lower your golf score or lower your ERA. You know, you, there's only there's only so low you can go. Yep. You know. Uh, anyway, very very impressive uh, earnings. What do you guys think about the uh, Amazon? Speaking of cutting, Amazon cutting their accessorial ties, binding parcel shippers. <laughs> that's that's quite a headline, isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, that's a Mark Solomon original. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a good story. Um, it's interesting, right? Amazon making some serious plays. It's basically um, Amazon saying, we will deliver your packages for 30% less money than UPS and FedEx because we're not going to s- charge you these like bullshit fees and surcharges. Yeah, to the shippers. They're saying, we're yeah. not going to do, we're not No gonna. holiday surcharges. Not, you know. That's cute because That's you know, cute. <laughs> what, 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 what they're doing is essentially building in that cost into the price itself. Um, ah, <laughs> so yes, that's, which I think they do often 
on <clears throat> the prices we pay. You know, we we pay with that membership to be if exactly. we are a customer for Amazon right. Prime, and uh, you pay for it in Prime, and you also pay for it, you know, just in the in the the sticker price of things on Amazon, which are yeah higher than mm-hmm. they are. Yeah, no, no, you're paying for it somewhere. Well, it's it's what I think. I think like maybe if we're looking at this macro like kind of bigger like is is are these the initial trimmers of Amazon saying hey you know we're going to disrupt you UPS and FedEx and we're coming in hot maybe faster than you think but um, it's unfortunate that uh, Fred Smith the CEO of FedEx just a month ago said that he didn't consider Amazon a serious competitor he said they're a customer uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, that is. I think you. I think you underestimate Amazon. You know, their ambitions at, at your own peril. Has he seen Jeff Bezos? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe this was direct. I don't know. Like, maybe I. You know, I would think. Okay, if you're bluffing like that, maybe you're, you're, you're making some kind of sort of public perception play. You're trying to, uh, you know, cool. You know, you sort of sort of reassure your investors that there's no threat on the horizon, but. At a certain point, it sounds kind of out of touch. It's like, no, that, maybe your investors actually want you to take it very seriously. Uh, and that, you know, that's a very, actually very good point. Um, I think, though, other like other analysts are kind of wondering, is Amazon maybe a little bit out of touch because they have neither the last mile delivery scale or density to act on such a pledge. No, and that that is a tremendous amount of effort. The last mile uh, segment is extremely expensive to operate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the truckload segment is essentially the easiest portion of their whole operation, which they just kind of dipped into quite a bit. Right. And, yeah, uh, it'll take billions of dollars to build out that network. Yeah, that's that's know. that's so hard. Partial is infinitely more difficult than truckload and, and anything kind of over the road like that in bulk. Right, because you're you're making hundreds of stops a day to deliver things that people are paying you, you know, a dollar. To yeah, deliver. and and essentially it's not coming back with anything. Those UPS trucks that deliver your stuff, they 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 return empty. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. so That's a good point. Yeah, yeah they yeah. they deadheaded back. But I th- I think one of the things though, like for all of that, you know, is this not part of Amazon's almost like business plan? Like you know when they like. They basically took out all booksellers and destroyed brick and mortar. I mean, you know, forever, however we want to, even if we want to just like look at that as an, in, in an agnostic capitalistic way, like they, they talk this, about great. this, no. this was their, this was, is their business model to like literally price, price, say, well, in this, in that case, books so cheap they could even take a loss. <laughs> for a while to get the ma- the to, critical mass of customers. The thing that is the, this an approach of getting a critical mass? Of, I mean, you know, I, t- I, I I did not, you know, as a someone who buys dozens of books from Amazon <laughs> a year. That's, that's the main thing I buy from them. Yeah. Um, I did not mourn the death of Borders, which was never that great. And I do think that yeah. a lot of the smaller used bookstores actually sell through Amazon and are able to reach a wider market. Um, so you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get the low prices of the discount bookstore, but you get the actual good books that you want from the used bookstore. But since the used bookstores have to compete against each other, you know, yeah, it, it works, yeah, it's great yeah. for the consumer. No, no I know. Um, and is that I think that's my as far as brick question, and mortar goes. I mean, then we can go down that path. And, and but like, but I think it's about business model. And uh, and is Amazon going to disrupt in a maybe quicker than anticipated way by getting on in there, being willing to accept um, potential, you know, millions in losses against their their net profits? I think that's um, a, in order to really like get some market I share. I think that I agree with you. I think that Amazon investors are much more tolerant of thin profit margins. They still view Amazon. Even though it's the world's, you know, what, first or second trillion dollar company, mm-hmm. it's still a growth company, like compared yeah, to FedEx yeah. and UPS, right? Oh, so, yeah. like, people, you know, people want them to be aggressive. People want them to pursue growth at, at the expense of margin. Like, there's no telling what, you know, what they're going to come after. No, and but the thing here is that Amazon kind of 
mastered the warehouse. They, they didn't necessarily master the transportation side. Mm. And I think that's something no, that's, that's easily forgotten in this, is that Amazon sure. will still sure. be hugely reliant on the Postal Service, number one, and right. God knows what Trump's going to do to Bezos there. <laughs> uh, but the next one is UPS. Well, and, in the meantime, he could just shut yeah, the whole government yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if I would want my business model to be very, like, highly dependent <laughs> right. on... Right, on anything on, having to do with Trump's the government goodwill. right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so if he's going to go out and do this massive investment, and he does have... Here's the thing. He does have the capital to do it. Yep. So... If he, if anybody is going to be able to master it uh, without the transportation experience, it would be him. Amazon here, we co- they've yeah. got the hub in in Fort yeah. Worth with their planes. You know, like they bought the twenty thousand yeah. Sprinter vans. They probably need about they need a lot more. Hundred thousand yeah. more. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but you know what is that? You know, right. like uh, pocket change, chump change. Yeah. Uh, speak- well, I mean, we're, we're, I guess we're not talking about the divorce and how that. No, no, that, that might cut things in half. Um, let's not get into that. Um, it is interesting though that we'll, we'll we'll see how the corporate governance of Amazon evolves because that will be interesting. His Bezos's ownership shares technically cut in half. I don't know why McKinsey wouldn't support him, but it's supposedly it's an amicable thing, but. Anyway, that's the, we'll see how that goes. Well, and uh, maybe a little bit of a smaller story, but still of some significance. The uh, Coast Guard workforce, which, uh, you know, they have uh, 43,000 uniformed members. Um, you know, they're trying to oversee operations and, and transactions. Well, they're being forced to work without pay, guys. I don't know if you've heard about this. There's a, a partial government shutdown, and uh, it's been, uh, you know, it's been going on. For, uh, what are we in, the 33rd, 34th day? No, I haven't heard about this. Who's counting? (laughs) Uh, Well, the people not getting paid. But um, there's also another 8,000 civilians who work alongside them. Uh, And anyway, they've all been furloughed. And so there's a a lapse in appropriations causing, um, you know, the, the Coast Guard uh, to you know ba- basically be able to not process um, as much documentation and financing, um, which is basically what they're saying is critical to maritime commerce. So that's happening. That sucks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, the national parks are getting wrecked. TSA people are basically all quitting. Uh, you know, the Fed isn't getting the data in the, I mean just just yesterday we were I was looking at some some numbers about wheat right uh, the Chinese the big Chinese grain buy um, didn't really affect commodities markets that much because the USDA inventory reports on grain and soybeans that were supposed to come out last week got yeah. canceled so no one no one really knows how much supply there is they know they hear a demand story but if you don't know the supply don't make a trade and so it's starting to affect more and more things. I think next week, anyone on food stamps will start getting uh, their payments cut. Um, you know, it's, it's it's a big deal. It's, it's getting it's getting real. It's getting real, and um, it's kind of uh, getting to be scary times. I think maybe in a, a real a national emergency. Uh, is emerging, and um, the now the national emergency is you and I, JP, taking it to the <laughs> mat with big deal, little deal. Wow, did you really compare uh, the urgency of big deal, little deal to the uh, government shutdown? Uh, big deal, little deal. Is it a big deal or a little deal? <laughs> um, I'm huge, big, deal. Yeah, huge. Clearly. huge deal. Clearly. Huge deal. Okay. Well, um, without further ado, um, I'm going to start uh, start off with you. It's going to be an, an easy one, JP, because it was what you were uh, essentially just talking about. So, yeah. <sighs> deep breath. Proposed Chinese grain buy could boost prices. Railroad volumes, big deal or little deal? It's a little deal right now, but we're waiting to see uh, if these purchases are confirmed and what the timetable will be. Brokers trying to navigate the sand traps of a tricky bid season, big deal or little deal? It's a big deal because what they're telling us really contradicts what the publicly traded truckload carriers are saying about rate increases. Prologis injects some cautious prudence amid strong 2018 results. Um, I think it's a big deal. Um, it has to do with basically trade activity and you know how the demand for warehouse space. For higher truck tonnage index posts best year since 1998. Uh, you know, 2018 was a big deal. Uh, this report is a little deal. We, we, we get the picture. 
<laughs> Days of free money are over for inventory carrying, but it's not time to declare Armageddon. Big deal or little deal? Little deal. Something to keep an eye on as interest rates rise to levels higher than we've seen in 11 years, but rates are still very cheap. Shipping innovation is moving faster than regulation. Big deal or little deal? Little deal in terms of worrying about regulation carrying, uh, catching up with the tech. Big deal in terms of how fast the tech is coming and how much more efficient it will be. Redwood Logistics gains foothold in the southeast with LTX Solutions acquisition. Big deal or little deal? Big deal, which will it'll allow the you know growing logistics company to strengthen its core less than truckload uh, business and increase its presence in the southeast. Oh, hours of service rule, victim of government shutdown. Big deal or little deal? <laughs> Big deal. The FMCSA decision-making body is furloughed, and this will probably significantly de- delay the most important issue for drivers since the hard ELD mandate, and that is increased flexibility. Oh, my God. We, we, <laughs> we destroyed the two minutes. Yeah. Even with me, like, skipping the, the headline and having to go back. One minute and 39 seconds, says Layla Rapp. That's a producer. record. That is, That's record. that is an OR record. <laughs> we are, Whoa. If ever. Just like the entire transportation industry, we are also focused on efficiency. Well, uh, great to have you all with us. Um, and also, um, we just wanted to mention that um, we have a sister site that we are working with, um, the Truckload Indexes site, working uh, in coordination with the TCA. Yeah, yeah. So truckloadindexes.com, check it out. It's a little um, sort of project of ours with the TCA. But basically, you get uh, daily articles with the Signature Freightways commentary uh, that really dives deep into the operational metrics of truckload carriers that aren't necessarily publicly traded. You know, so operational and financial metrics. Really interesting stuff. Check it out, uh, truckloadindexes.com. It's a fun project that we have uh, initiated the past couple of months. Um, one of our main correspondents, uh, Ashley Coker, um, uh, you know, frequently posts there. And yeah, she's, we just she's like the editor to, of the site. We just like to encourage uh, encourage everyone to check out the, the cool uh, data and stories coming out of there. And with that, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Signing out, I'm Chad. I'm JP. And I'm Zach. And we will see you real soon. Thanks for tuning in. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode. And thanks again to Redwood Logistics for helping us out and partnering with us on What the Truck. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly. So be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.